The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So for these three weeks, we will be talking about the three characteristics of life, or the three marks, or the three facts, or the three recognitions of life. These are what we see, what we recognize when we look deeply, whether in meditation or in our lives. When we pay attention, when we see things as they are, we see these three characteristics. And you probably know them. The first, and what we'll talk about today, is anicca, or impermanence. Or Tanjeff says, inconstancy. Things are inconstant. I like that. Um, The second is dukkha, suffering or dissatisfaction, or unhappiness. We'll talk about that next week. And dukkha typically follows the non-recognition of the changing nature of everything. And the third week will be uh, anatta, or anatta, the uh, emptiness, not-self, selflessness, of ourselves and all phenomena. So although we'll talk about them as three different characteristics, you'll see that in many ways um, they're not so different. They really are intertwined, interrelated. And we begin talking about one and pretty soon we're talking about the other one because that's how closely interrelated they are. And I want to make the point that um, that these are not theories, although if you go to Access to Insight, <laughs> it talks about the theory of impermanence. It's not a theory. It's just a recognition of what is. It's not a belief system. It's not something that Buddhism says, now you should see it this way. It is just seeing. If you do look, you will see that that's how it is. Um, That's one of the things I appreciate about Buddhism. It's not a theory. It's not a belief system. It's not a dogma. It's just pointing us to the reality, to the way things are. So impermanence or change, maybe, um, is a good way of saying it, is the nature of things. All things are constantly changing, including us, right? These bodies supposedly change every seven years. There's a whole new set of cells every seven years. Obviously, there is something recognizable that continues, but the body itself continuously is losing cells and regenerating cells. And so is everything in this phenomenal world. And our job is to notice, to pay attention and see how things are changing. 
So the Buddhist dictionary says, it remains a firm condition, an immutable fact and fixed law that all formations are impermanent, that all formations are subject to suffering, and that everything is without a self. It's interesting that it says an immutable fact. (laughs) But it is pointing to that this is the way things are. And it's fine if you want to disagree or if you want to say, if you want to point to something that, um, that you are aware of that doesn't change, that stays the same, um, that, would be, that would be great. I hope you would tell us so we could look at it, we could see. Because in my experience, um, there isn't anything. <laughs> there isn't anything at all that doesn't change. I um, just happened to see part of a program the other night on Channel 9 about uh, volcanoes. Maybe some of you saw it. And it talked about Mount Vesuvius, um, the perhaps most famous volcano. And there is continuous activity at Mount Vesuvius. I, I didn't know this. Apparently it's been active for, what, millennia? <laughs> and the prediction or the thinking is that one day there will be another huge eruption. And yet, there are people, villages all around. Because they were saying that if there was a huge eruption, it would destroy, I don't remember how many, countless villages, kill untold numbers of people. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Um, as human beings, we don't want to accept this fact. Okay, it erupted in the past. Okay, we got that. That's okay. But it's not going to now. And so we live our lives as if things were permanent. Probably that's true for a lot of us here in the Bay Area. We had a huge earthquake in 89. And that was a good wake-up call. That was a good reminder. But how many of us live as if we're going to have another one? (laughs) And yet, that's the reality, right? One of these days, there will be another, probably pretty large, earthquake. And yet, we find it hard to live as if that were the case, as if that were going to happen. There's a part of us that doesn't want to accept that everything is changing. It's not easy um, to accept that fact. Last night in my Morgan Hill group, we got to talking about death and attachment. And one woman who has been married for many years um, lost her mom and two good friends within the last five years. And that was, of course, a wake-up call. But she very freely admitted that she cannot face the fact 
that she and her husband will one day be parted by death or dissolution, probably by death. And she said, you know, if it even comes to mind, I immediately push it away. And I say to myself, I couldn't bear it. I couldn't stand it. So that opened a very good discussion on, um, you know, the reality that it will happen and how much healthier and easier it would be for her if she could begin to face it now and recognize... um, First, I told her, first of all, catch it when you find yourself saying, I couldn't live without him, I couldn't go on, you know. Is that really true? Well, undoubtedly not. Occasionally somebody feels that way and, and ends it. But mostly people feel that way, and then when it happens, they do find the strength to go on. So don't tell yourself that. And then secondly... Begin, begin slowly, gently to recognize and live with the fact that one day one of you will be without the other. And, you know, since it's a good, strong marriage, do it together. Face it together. Not This is not being morbid. This is not... Um, you know, being negative or whatever. This is being realistic. And the truth is, and, and she's, she's a wise woman and, an, and a serious practitioner, and she knows the truth is that if she could face it and deal with it, it would be much easier. Because now we all know there's, there's energy and, and tightness when we have to push away something, when we can't look at something that creates a tightness in the body. And so it's freeing to be able to look at something directly and not have to push it away. So death is probably the ultimate impermanence. (laughs) That might be the biggest, sometimes the most obvious, sometimes the most difficult to deal with. That's why Buddhism talks about living with death on our left shoulder. That is, living with the recognition that uh, we will all die at some point. You know that saying, right? What's the most incredible thing? The most incredible thing is that death is happening all around us and we all think it won't happen to us. (laughs) It's easy to acknowledge as a theory or, you know, as, as a thought. Oh, yeah, right, I know, I know. But to actually face that we will die or that our loved one will die, often people say it's easier to accept that I will die than it is that my loved ones will die. But... Um, perhaps at least as significant is recognizing the change that is happening all the time all around us everything 
everything is in flux. Everything is in process, including our ideas, our thoughts, our, our looks, our features, um, science, religion, everything, right? Everything that we hold dear is constantly changing. It does not stay the same. And people, groups, get in trouble when they try to keep something fixed. That's what so many wars are about. So much conflict is about one group, you know, thinking this is it, it doesn't change, this is the way it is now and forever, and then they come in conflict with another group that doesn't see it that way or that is changing. We see it in science, I think, all the time, where there's a discovery um, and people learn that's how things are and then whatever, 10, 20, 100, 200 years later, there's another discovery that uh, suggests, oh, oh, no, that's not how they are. They're this way. And then we hear in the news the difficulty of people making that transition, adjusting to a new realization of how things are. And even scientists who are supposedly open, uh, that's part of their job, to be open to new discoveries, find themselves getting caught getting stuck in, no, it can't be that way because this is how it is. And um, modern physics, I think, is really mixing things up right now, showing us how things are not just the way we thought they were. And they are changing. And again, there's debate among scientists, you know, who don't want to accept that things are changing. Or religions. Maybe this is one big place that people get stuck in things being a certain way. And being unwilling to accept, to even let in when there is new understanding, new interpretation, new um, evidence, if you will, that something is a little bit different. And yet, for me, I find it quite exciting. And this is one of the things, again, that I really appreciate about Buddhism. Buddhism does not allow us to... um, to think that this is how it is now and forever. Buddhism encourages us to see that things are always changing and to be open to that, to accept that. But it seems that as human beings, we have this desire for things to remain as they are 
for things to be the way they've always been. Whether it's a tradition or a person. Uh, I'm remembering back when I was young, my mother was caught in this thinking that, that people are a certain way. And if somebody said something one year and then another year later they said something else, instead of accepting that people change, their ideas change, etc., she found them to be disingenuous or, um, you know, somehow not real because that's not how they felt last year. (laughs) But, of course, in a way, that's a very encouraging sign, (laughs) right? That we're willing to be open and change when the need changes, when something changes. Many years ago, I went to a reunion of um, several of us nurses that had worked together in the 80s. And, of course, uh, we had all changed. (laughs) Our hair was different. Our bodies were different. The clothes we wore were different. Um, But there was one woman. And for me, she really stood out. It was like an anachronism, you know. She looked the same as she had, whatever it was, 10 or 15 years earlier when we were working together. She dressed the same, her makeup was the same, her hair was the same. Everything was the same. And it was so stark. It was so outstanding to me. She had not changed with the times. Just Saturday, as you probably know, we had uh, a lovely memorial for Cheryl Gassner. Were any of you there? Or or rather was anybody else? No? Cheryl Gassner was a very, very loved and very beautiful woman in this sangha for many years. And she and Andrea and um, Chris Clifford we're very, very close friends. So, of course, Andrea couldn't be there because she's on retreat, but she sent a recording. And one thing she said that really stood out for me was the three of them had become very close, did many things together, and felt like they were sisters or like they were three parts of the same body. And... Several years ago, eight, ten years ago, Cheryl had a cardiac arrest while she was on retreat. And, um, of course, nearly died. I mean, it was amazing that she was revived. But she was. But there was some brain damage. And so she was not quite the same after that. And so in her message, Andrea was saying, Cheryl changed. And so I had to adapt to Cheryl changing. And then four years ago, Cheryl had a stroke. And the same thing. There was more change. And I had to adapt to how Cheryl was now. Of course, Cheryl had to adapt to it also, as did her husband and and everybody. And she said, and I thought this was, was so touching, she said, and now Cheryl has changed again. 
And now I have to adapt to this change in Cheryl. And that was so poignant. You know, there it is, right? The change, so, so relevant. And ultimately, the, the ultimate change. Another example, um, I don't know if any of you know of Eric Kolvig, a Vipassana teacher, a gay man. Uh, many years ago, uh, many, because we were still in Palo Alto, he came to speak. And he brought with him a, a, uh, a reading or a, a writing that, that he uses when he does weddings and it's a very poignant description of impermanence <laughs> because he talks about how this relationship will end whether by death or dissolution so i have done several weddings and when i meet with the couple prior to the wedding i always read eric's writing and they all find it very poignant and, and very, um, you know, meaningful, instructive. Not one. I think I've done maybe eight or so weddings. Not one has ever wanted that red at their wedding. <laughs> Which, of course, is understandable, but I think it's also a little bit humorous, you know. Yes, it's the truth, but don't say that. <laughs> So recognizing the impermanence of everything. Helps us, allows us to let go. To let go of our tight grip on things. Our tight hold on how things are, how we see things, how we see ourselves. You know, we can get stuck in a view of ourselves, right? In how we think of ourselves as being this way or that way, introverted or extroverted or um, happy or depressed or um, optimistic or pessimistic or whatever. And that's dangerous (laughs) because when we do that, then we tend to act or to feel or to believe out of that perspective. And the reality is that all of us have some introversion and some extroversion. Now, it might be in different um, ratio, you know, different percentages, but we all have it. We all have some depression and some happiness, hopefully more of the happiness. We all have all of it. And depending on the situation, depending on the time, depending on what's going on in our lives, the amount, the ratio, may vary. And our job is to be open to those changes, not to get ourselves stuck 
in any one quality or attribute or whatever. Many years ago, when I, when I was a child, I was considered shy. Um, I certainly became that way <laughs> after hearing it so much. But one time as a young adult, I remember having the impulse to do something, and I don't remember now what it was, and then the thought coming, you can't do that, you're shy. And that was a great revelation that I was limiting myself because of this view. And this view actually was given to me. (laughs) I don't remember ever deciding I was shy. I do remember hearing it a lot. And if you hear something, you tend to adopt it. But I think it was never quite the same for me after that recognition that I was limiting myself because of holding that particular view. Sure, there was a shy part of me. There's a shy part of most everybody. The most extroverted person can have a shy part. And in fact, sometimes very extroverted people are covering for that shyness. So important for us not to label ourselves or anybody else as any particular thing, because then we get stuck in it. So what are some of the ways in our everyday lives that we can see clearly and experience impermanence or the changing nature? One for me is flowers. And that's one that's often given as an example in Buddhist practice. These are beautiful, aren't they? Just gorgeous. And there's a part of me, of course, that wants them to stay like that. So when I come back next week, they'll be just like that. And in two weeks, they'll be just like that. I do it at home all the time. I get this beautiful bouquet at farmer's market. And it's beautiful for two, three, four days. Right now it's tulips. (laughs) But you know by four days it's not going to be quite so beautiful. And actually often I can watch, every day watch, this beautiful bouquet that looks so perfect, just in this right spot, right? And it's just perfect. And then (laughs) it begins to age. Um, It begins to change. Some of the blooms aren't quite as pretty as they were the first day. And I can see within myself a, a little bit of grasping. Oh, oh, don't do that. Oh, I want it to stay, you know? Um, or I used to be, I used to love decorating my house. I was always, you know, decorating. And I would get a room or the whole house or whatever, just a certain way. Now, that was perfect. That was just right. And a year later, (laughs) it wasn't just right anymore. (laughs) I had changed, the styles had changed, something had changed, and that wasn't 
exactly right anymore. So I'd like to invite your comments. What do you notice in everyday life that lets you see the changing nature of everything? So for me, it's technology. Uh-huh. And it's just one thing after another. <laughs> you get the computer, then you need the this, and then... And there are times that I just feel overwhelmed. Yeah. And I'm not a huge technology person anyway. Uh, and I, I also feel sometimes I'm trying to cling to what was. <laughs> but you have to be up to date on things <laughs> to function in the business world with my kids. And so I really feel that it's just overwhelming. Yes. And there's really nothing to do about it other than just kind of go with the flow, which is what you've been talking about. Well, and I think just the recognition and, and acknowledging that it is overwhelming. Yeah. That's, that's um, certainly the rapid change of technology can be really overwhelming mm-hmm. for most of us, probably. Yeah. And then the question becomes, you know, how much do we keep up with it? And yeah. how much do we say, no, that's okay, I, I don't need that. I can. Yeah, I usually go in the mode of the must-do, you know, as opposed to i got to be involved in all of it or, or get this gizmo and gadget. Mm-hmm. So I just find that it's just taking away of um, certain freedoms. Yeah. I had two thoughts. Um, one is um, <clears throat> uh, traveling and photographing in the, uh, throughout the, uh, the West and uh, uh, mountains. And um, I've never been successful photographing this. It's very hard to do. But, um, but you can see when you look at a mountain, some more than others, that these, these huge blocks of stone are actually moving. They're just moving so slowly. They're Mm -hmm. moving at a different pace than we are, and we can't see it. But if you kind of relax your eyes and just kind of look at what you're seeing very carefully, you you can see these huge masses of stone moving down the side of the mountain. And you can see them changing as as you see the stones further down. They're smaller and and smaller until they just become sand and of course eventually wash away into the rivers um, but it's 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 there and easy to see no, well it's not easy to see no, but, yeah. it's, but it can be seen um, and the other thought I had when you were speaking about flowers um, there's a photographer whose name I don't know a woman photographer um, who's photographed flowers, plants and people in various stages of decay. Mm. Mm-hmm. They're very beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I was struck when, when, when you described a flower four or five or six days later not being beautiful anymore. Because they, they are beautiful. They're, they're, they're just um, a, a different... They're in a different stage of that beauty. That's right. Um, that's right. As, as, are, as are people. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's very true. And, and that's 
I think, for me, most seen with a rose. That, uh, you know, a rose in full bloom is very, very beautiful. And even after it's bloomed out and the petals start falling, sometimes I leave the petals around for a little while. Yes, thank you, Arthur. That's very, very true. They can be, they can be beautiful in every stage. It's a different beauty. Um, I have several young adults in my family and in my household. And for them, it it feels to me like there's always somebody whose school schedule is changing or who's finishing one school and going into the workforce or who doesn't like a job and is quitting it and starting another. And they used to work at nine and now they get up at four. And a romantic relationship is developing or dissolving. And and this is... (laughs) happening all the time and I don't manage it I just witness it and I sometimes find myself wishing they they would settle down (laughs) or when will they settle down and then right away recognizing this is the way things are (laughs) this is life (laughs) yes and I think um, compassion for ourselves when we recognize that you know um, it, it's, I don't know, it's hardwired perhaps. We want things to stay steady. We want things to be predictable. And so not being upset with ourselves when we're upset because they're not. But allowing, yeah, yeah. Compassion. Compassion for ourselves, for each other. So exactly along those same lines, um, everyone, many people know I have twin eight-year-old boys in my house, and they're going through huge mood swings right now. So the hardest thing, and coming here I was thinking about it, the hardest thing for me is when they're having one of those really horrible mood swings when they're acting so badly, is for me not to look at them and think, how am I going to do this until they're like 18 years old and what about boarding schools and I don't know if I can do this and it's just like it seems so permanent. Yes. And then this morning I have cuddly little boys climbing on my lap and helping with <laughs> breakfast and I forget. And so when, when, they're, when it's the heat of the moment, when they're, we're around the table doing a blessing last night before dinner and one of them is just chomping on his food and being disruptive and I send him to his room and he's being loud and I, I get caught up in it, and then I end up giving consequences that the next morning I regret. How am I going to follow through with this consequence? So I get caught up in those mood swings. And I just, today I thought, well, next time they have one of those, which will probably be today after school, <laughs> maybe, maybe I can visualize a, a wilting flower or something and know that it's, it's not permanent, or maybe a beautiful flower or something. Mm-hmm. I, it's just... Mm-hmm. separating that is hard for me and it's my constant work I'm constantly working on this so. yes so there it is the recognition that um, change can lead to suffering when we resist it when we try not to let it happen when we cling or hang on to it 
can lead to enormous suffering. And there are times the recognition of change is really consoling. (laughs) When there's something we don't like or we have difficulty with, a feeling perhaps, a feeling of anger or depression or sadness or whatever that we don't really like, we can remember, ah, this too shall change. (laughs) Thank you for speaking about having compassion for ourselves. I forget that because I get graspy and tight. And uh, my husband and I have moved twice in the past um, two months, three months on purpose, but still very difficult. And I find... um, my bellwether of change is, is how bad my anxiety and my allergies are. And you can hear, <coughs> right now they're not too great. Um, and yesterday I was quite fine, and I was really pleased and was really sure that, um, you know, hope always triumphs. I mean, just so sure that it was over. <laughs> and then this morning, things aren't like that. And, of course, I am grasping and holding on tightly to that. At the same time, I'm saying, uh, please take this from me. I'm letting go. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. just chaos. <laughs> I think the, the one way that I notice change very regularly is in light. Mm-hmm. Um, I get up in the morning and take my dog out, and it's still dark usually, and the moon is often out and it's fuller right now but some mornings when I go out I need I need a flashlight cuz it's so dark to yeah. you know find my dog <laughs> who's black in the newspaper um <laughs> and then I notice just the light as it changes throughout my house during the day and then at the end of the day when my kids come home and yesterday we were outside all playing on the lawn and the way the light plays on the plants and then sinks below the hills and then the energy and the feeling that comes from that change is Mm -hmm. fascinating to me because Mm -hmm. um you know we can sort of or i I sort of sense when it's time when when this is happening and i don't know exactly how to describe it but as the sun goes down and light gets darker and we come in and it's time for food and you know book reading and homework and snuggles and all those things that happen more in the darkness and less in the energy of the bright day. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And the moon is a great example. I was thinking that last night as I saw this big, huge, full moon. Ah, you know, what a beautiful example of impermanence. Now it will change <laughs> and become such a tiny sliver. And then become full again. Yeah. And we have, in many ways, we have attached ourselves to the full moon, haven't we? <laughs> that's, the, that's the perfection. That's the ideal, the full moon. And yet, if you watch, you, know, you can find, again, beauty in every stage of the moon. There's a a book entitled Transitions, Making Sense of Life's Changes by Bill Bridges, yes. um, which has been the best guide I've had to going through the transition of significant changes in my life. Um, and if, and 
and I recommend it to anyone who is struggling with a change, you know, as I did in the past. The other thing that I, I thought of while you were talking was that if, at least in the rest of my lifetime, we never have a major earthquake in the Bay Area, that too would be a change. Mm. Um, yes. it, it would alter the theory a bit about how, or the theories, or the expectations. Um, so either way, um, well, that will be a change. And sometimes we think so much about change in, in sort of, I imagine you're going to talk about this in a future week, but in such a self-orienting way. That is, change is good or bad because I like it or I don't like it. I find pleasure in it or I don't find pleasure in it. Christmas is always a comparison time. How was it last year? And Hmm. even planning next year, some planning for next year. Uh, What I discovered, and I've known this for quite a while, when all the, I have seven adult children, and they weren't all there this year, and it was a little easier, actually. There's there's so (laughs) so many of us. But what I notice is that there are certain things. I wish Tim didn't do this. I wish Michael did do this. I wish Eileen didn't do this. And that that these are patterns that they have, which I'm full of patterns. (laughs) Um, And actually, as I observed them, rather than trying to control them or or think, oh, I wish that would change, there's just a beginning that they're becoming endearing. And, I mean, that is just amazing. Isn't it? That's wonderful. (laughs) It is. It was just such a gift to me to get that little insight and some and and some of those things that I don't like will change and and of course but um, I just thought that's the way the universe treats us they I mean not everything is negative not everything and I loved when I first started coming here uh, when Andrea would use the word skillful rather than Good uh-huh. and and not skillful rather than bad, yeah, right. and because um, that may changes the way I look at look at things. So change um, patterns are very difficult. I think as I age, aging takes a lot of the stuff from us, and so we sort of accept it a little bit more. But still, <laughs> there's the longer you live, the deeper those patterns go. Also. So, um, and some time, people resist aging. <laughs> well, yeah, we all do in some way. I think no, that's true. But um, it's interesting what I let go easily and what I still yes cling to. Clinging is uh, to me is that's that's the thing that causes the most suffering for me. That's yeah, what the Buddha taught. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, clinging in any way. You know, that might be wanting something or not wanting something, but it's that clinging. And seeing that, and this also then my seeing the fact that the faults even can become endearing. Yes, um, <laughs> that's beautiful. Instead of saying, oh my God, I'm doing it again, I can just say, here I am again. Yes, exactly. It's not so bad. That's right. 
Because it'll change. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's what Buddhism is about. It's not about changing the outer circumstances. It's about changing ourselves so that we accept, we adapt to how things are. That's, um, that's a huge <laughs> shift, a huge shift in perception. But look at the happiness it brings, right? And the reality is we can't control things around us. You can't control, as you said, how your children are. We can only work with our response. And I was thinking, I'll bet your relationship with your children will, will alter a bit with that different perception on your part. When yeah. you see something as endearing rather than annoying, the kids will get it. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that points to um, you know, another change that often we don't like to acknowledge or see, and that is change in relationships. Again, we like to think that this is how our relationship is, whether it's romantic or our children or friends or whatever. This is how it is, and this is how it will always be. But in truth, (laughs) relationships evolve and change just like everything else. So the way we're relating now may not be the same a year, two years, ten years from now. That's one of the ways that I sort of check myself on how's my spiritual journey going. It's how many people I'm still uh, anxious and, and uh, irritated. Mm-hmm. And, and I had one woman that really I pray with her three times a week, and she was driving me crazy. And this went on. I mean, this is still, there's still that there, but not as much. And it, it's been through the practice. I'm just absolutely convinced mm. it's through the practice. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. But there'll be you somebody know. else who come along. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Behind you. <laughs> I have more of a question. Um, how does one approach something that doesn't seem impermanent, which is chronic physical pain the um, the basic instructions in this practice are to pay close attention to the changing nature of the physical sensations and I think this is one reason that the MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, has been so successful and so helpful. Because something like chronic pain, intractable pain, can feel so all-consuming, so monolithic. But with our close attention, with our laser mindfulness, we begin to see that it isn't so, that the sensations are changing, if ever so slightly, and that there are very minute, maybe nanosecond, um, nanoseconds of no sensation. And just breaking it up 
like that, seeing that it's not so solid, has allowed people to, uh, to handle it with more equanimity, to be able to be with it, to understand, to see, and perhaps pay more attention to those brief moments when it's not so bad, or there's nothing, or just become interested in the change. You know, now there's pressure, and now there's a pulling, and now there's heat, and now there's nothing. And then there's cold, and then there's tingling. And it becomes kind of fascinating. (laughs) Something that we thought was so solid actually is made up of all these different moving sensations. And that can be very, very helpful. Um, Again, though, the compassion. (laughs) Because chronic or intractable pain is difficult to live with. Very, very challenging to live with. I recently visited a... uh, a Buddhist teacher who has had much pain from arthritis. And, um, and she really reminded me how difficult, how challenging it can be to live with chronic pain. And so acknowledging that, um, a lot, a lot of compassion. And, and perhaps seeing the tendency to resist the tendency to want to make it go away, which is natural, of course, (laughs) but then seeing how that resisting might actually uh, make it worse. And, and, you know, it might be uh, going back and forth, uh, resisting, and then we notice it and we let go, and then there isn't resistance for a moment, and then it comes back again. And then we let go, and it's not there. And so working with it like that. Does that help? Um, Do you know the name Darlene Cohn? Have you read her book? She lived with rheumatoid arthritis and chronic pain for many years. She died just a year or so ago. Um, I haven't read her book, but I understand it's excellent. And so that might be that might be useful. Also, Tony Bernhard's book, How to Be Sick. Again, I haven't read it. I've heard excellent things about it. Both of them Buddhist practitioners, so coming from a Buddhist perspective. Um, it seems to me that change is inextricably linked to time. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. And also, um, it also has to do with um, comparisons, right? So if we're looking at the, the rose and then the rose three days later when the blossoms are on the table, our judgment about what that looks like is formed from a mental picture of comparing it to how it looked like when it was in full bloom. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if we're looking at it just as a, as a tableau of petals on the table, it, 
it might not register as decay or ugly, um, but that comes from the comparison, which is based on time as well, right? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And then it can be useful to recognize. I mean, change happens. Um, the rose will open, bloom, and fall. Uh, time is a human construct. And, of course, the comparing mind is a human construct. So, again, working with our comparing mind, (laughs) noticing the comparing mind and the suffering, the the unhappiness that that can bring. Yeah. one of the things that, that modern physics is, is showing us, and I'm not a scientist, <laughs> but I watch a lot of Channel 9, <laughs> is that um, time may not be what we think it is. And so our, um, our fixed ideas about time may be up for a change, which I find exciting. Uh, Related to that, I just read recently that there's a move afoot, apparently, to change the calendar. That might be something that we thought was set, (laughs) right? (laughs) I really had to chuckle when I saw that. Now, I don't know who it is that wants to uh, change it so that, that I think there would be um, an, uh, 13 months with 28 days in each month. So that <laughs> the 13th would always fall on Friday <laughs> or Tuesday or whatever, you know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So the calendar lobby will be <laughs> Friday. <laughs> but... Um, but it's just a good example of how even even the calendar <laughs> is not fixed. It's been this way apparently for 450 years, but might change. Might change now. <laughs> so I just want to. It's just about 11 o'clock. I just want to say one more short thing, and we can we can say more next week. But um, another thing that recognizing the changing nature, or as Rick Hansen says, the fragility of things can help us or can lead us to take care, to take care of things, whether it's relationships or um, things, knowing that, um, that it could break at any time, anything. You know, anything we have. Like the story of Ajahn Chah, right? Who had his favorite cup and always used this cup. And one day, one of his um, followers said to him, but Ajahn Chah, I thought you told us not to be attached to anything. And his answer was, for me, the cup is already broken. So that's the non-attachment. It's okay if I use my favorite cup. As long as I realize that it'll break one day. When we (laughs) 
when we recognize that things will change, no matter what, no matter what it is, that can lead us to take great care, such as a relationship, perhaps, that we recognize, and I think this is Eric's point when he, you know, talks about um, how this relationship will end. Therefore, every day, every moment, recognize the preciousness of this relationship. Not in a clinging way, not in a grabbing, but just appreciating, uh, valuing every moment so that when it breaks or it ends or whatever, there isn't the regret. There's sadness, of course, but not the regret because we valued it, we nurtured it, we honored it every step of the way. So there's much more we could say, but it is 11, uh, so we'll end, and I will look forward to seeing you all next week.